Welcome to the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. The aim of the podcast is to get us all talking about money more. Talking about money is still considered to be a taboo. We don't talk about money enough. Women don't talk about money enough. And that needs to stop. In this podcast, my guests and I talk about money, mindset, and how to turn around limiting beliefs, allowing you to develop a healthy, wealthy money mindset. Our relationship with money doesn't just affect our finances, but impacts every aspect of our business. And most of all, our own sense of self-value and self-worth. By mastering your mindset, you can in turn master the money you make in your business. Welcome to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast. Today is another great guest episode. Fran Spooner is a partner in the corporate team at Marriott Harrison, a specialist business law firm based in the City of London. Fran advises clients from a range of sectors on corporate and corporate finance matters, including venture capital and M&A, for which she is recommended in the Legal 500, along with general corporate advisory matters such as director and shareholder arrangements. Fran is also recognised in the Legal 500 as a next-generation partner for venture capital. Clients have commented that she is very experienced, commercial and pragmatic and works to get transactions done quickly and efficiently without sacrificing attention to detail. She is also proud to lead the firm's corporate social responsibility programme. Welcome to the podcast, Fran. Thank you very much. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. No, thank you. I'm um, delighted to be here. So I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all my guests. What is your money story? So I knew this was coming because, as you said, it's the question you ask everyone first. Um, And I was thinking about how best to answer it, really, you know, kind of what that question means, because, you know, it could mean, you know, go through kind of day by day your money story throughout your whole life, which obviously would take way longer than a podcast. (laughs) Um, But the, the big thing that came to me first about kind of how I view money, how I think about money, you know, how it impacts on my life and and probably most relevant now is that I actually feel a bit conflicted about money generally. Um, And I suppose to explain what that kind of broadly means is I've got a job as a corporate lawyer where all we do in a very broad sense is deal with money, you know, money being invested into companies, investors investing money in companies, companies asking for money, um, people selling their companies and getting money, you know, it it all kind of revolves around the value and the importance of money in a very broad sense. But actually, I probably don't, I I wouldn't consider myself to be money motivated at all in how I work, you know, what I value, um, what I take from my job. It's kind of not about the money for me. So Mm -hmm. in the sense that I'm conflicted in that, I'm in a world where everything revolves around money and you're kind of the corporate world is very kind of money focused, but I'm I'm not really money focused. So I, I always feel like there's a bit of a yeah, conflict between kind of what I'm doing and, and how I'm focused at work between kind of what I'm actually motivated by and what drives me. So that leads to a very obvious question. What does motivate you? <laughs> well, I obviously have to think about that as well as part of the kind of broad conflict answer. Um I mean, I, I think for me, it's much more about the broader purpose of what I'm doing. Um, and I've probably only come to that realisation, like, relatively recently, um, you know, and I think COVID was a bit of a trigger for that. Everyone seemed to kind of sit back and be like, what am I doing with my life? And what do I want to do? And and actually, what makes me happy? Um, and, you know, I love aspects of my job and I love my firm. And, you know, if I didn't, I wouldn't have continued with it for the last kind of 12 years. But I think I've identified that the purpose is more more kind of, um, well, specifically kind of trying to help women now. Um, you know, I've kind of been very focused on um, trying to help female lawyers first off, because that's what I do. Um, and then trying to help female founders as well, um, trying to 
broadly get a message out about kind of how women can do things differently and perhaps kind of combat some of that fear or or kind of have a bit more confidence I mean which ties in nicely to to all the work you do um and so that that's actually kind of what gives me most satisfaction and and if I feel like I've done something that's gone towards that broader purpose every day I feel like I've had a good day when you decided to become a lawyer and then became a corporate lawyer, what 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 was your motivation at that point in time in deciding you wanted to be a lawyer? Yeah, I mean, difficult. I, I feel like I am a focused um, and ambitious person, but I also don't feel like at any point I've thought the next step or in the next year I want to do this or in the next five years I want to do this um and I think I must have done but just not in a kind of very tangible way um so I don't think I ever thought I'm going to be a corporate London um corporate lawyer in London doing this with these companies I kind of feel like I've gone from you know university and then thinking like oh what can I do with my degree um oh I'll do this because it kind of makes sense and then getting a job and then qualifying and then you know, working at the ranks and becoming a partner. And it's all kind of happened nicely. You know, it's it's worked out brilliantly, but I don't feel like at any point I've thought, right, I'm going to do this and kind of focus all my attention on doing this. And that's exactly what I want. And once you get it, you're kind of like, yes, I've achieved that aim. So, is, Sorry, carry on. Sorry. Well, which again is quite conflicting because I suppose in a way I am quite ambitious and I, I'm very happy when I get to the point that I get to. But if I try and think back to, you know, what did you actually want when you were 18? I don't really know. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, it does. Absolutely. I can remember when I went to university um, and I had graduated and my mum said to me, well, what are you going to do? And I had a degree in sociology. Um, and it's quite funny now, sociology is seen as being, you know, quite an attractive thing to have because of the links to psychology and anthropology, et cetera, et cetera. But back then, it was not a particularly, it was sought after as far as the number of people on the courses were concerned, but it didn't necessarily lead anywhere directly. So you had to kind of look around the edges. And I can remember very clearly, I was at Cardiff University, being on the phone to my mum, and my mum said, so what are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And don't, you know, I want to go into business. Well, why don't you join, as they were called then, British Telecom? Mm-hmm. And I said, what, that dinosaur? <laughs> and I went to spend on to spend 10 years at that dinosaur that became BT. Mm-hmm. But a little bit like you, I didn't necessarily sit down at 18 and kind of go, right then this is my life, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I am going to do it. Mm. But for me, over the last few years since, you know, moving into running my own businesses, etc., and starting to find my purpose, I feel as though I am now much more in the driver's seat as mm. far as what I'm doing and why I am doing it. Do you feel, in the conversation we're having now, that's what I'm kind of picking up, do you feel that you are now more purpose-driven as a result of the journey you've been on, but you haven't necessarily, you've had to be on a journey to get to your purpose as opposed Mm to starting off with that purpose in mind? Yes, definitely. Um, I feel so much happier and more in control of what I'm doing as a partner than I did as you know the whole way up to that point. Um, and I suppose that comes partly with the nature of the job in that, in effect, you are kind of self-employed and you're running your mini business, which is you and your clients within a law firm usually. Um, but yeah, I mean that I think that has just massively in in and of itself improved how I feel about work um you know what ambitions I do have how I feel like I am contributing to you know the sounds a bit grander than I kind of mean it to but contributing to society more than just before perhaps I got into a bit of a hole of just thinking like what you know what am I doing and, and why am I working for these people doing this thing and 
you know, I don't, and as I said, you know, if I'm not money motivated and I don't kind of necessarily focus on the money, why am I helping all these people get money and get rich? And, you know, it kind of just started to get a bit, a bit disillusioned with the whole thing. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, kind of switching to really thinking about what it was that I enjoyed, that I wanted to achieve, um, the kind of much bigger things in life that kind of actually did mean something. Um, yeah, as I said, you get to the end of the day and you just feel kind of much better about yourself. You're kind of working towards something bigger. And I know from where we've spoken before, and, and you've said it, you know, during our conversation now, that for you, working with female founders, helping women to, to grow, develop their businesses, you know, that is a real passion for you. We all know that women business owners find it harder to access the funds that they they want to access than their their male equivalents have why do you think that is still the case you know in 2023 that we are still having a conversation around equality still having a conversation around women finding it more difficult to access the funds they need to grow a successful business um I think there's you know tons of reasons ranging from kind of big to small and some that well, lots that obviously I probably won't even be aware of um one of them is that often female and and everything I say is a kind of generalization in some respect but often female-led businesses are looking at or dealing with a problem that relates to women specifically so if you if that business owner is going out and trying to speak to um you know suppliers or customers or potentially investors they might not really understand what the problem is if that room is men is full of men um you know they might try or they might think they're really open-minded but there is just a fact that they might have never come across the problem before. And so it just might not even be on their radar. And that's an immediate like, oh, I didn't even know that was a problem. Why, why are they trying to fix it? You know, so there's a level of like not really understanding each other. Um, I think one of the things I've been thinking about recently is the other kind of barriers to growth for female-led businesses is um, the more kind of organic, casual in a way networks. So my observation is that I think often – Men talk about business things and money in a broad sense again, um, a lot more than women do. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with my girlfriends about money or investment or even really corporate life or work. Um, you know, it's just not, and not even because like I desperately want to talk about it and no one else does. It just doesn't come up. It's not something that comes up. Whereas I think. You know, I can see it from I've got two older brothers and and they kind of do talk about investing and stuff. And between us, we kind of do talk about stuff like that. But they probably raised it. I don't know. It kind of seems like it's probably a bit more on their agenda. And the typical thing that you kind of say is like business happens on the golf course. There's a bit more, I think, in in the male kind of realm that they have those informal networks where perhaps they will chat about business or they will say, oh, I know this person who might be able to help you out. And it's kind of networking without even thinking, which I think women kind of lack a bit. Um, and then the other reason I think is that because of perhaps those two issues, there's a bit of a lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. And women, and I've done it as well, can, can have a tendency to hold ourselves back, um, you know, whether it's because, you know, sometimes for the benefit of, you know, we kind of think about things quite carefully. We tend to be a little bit more cautious, um, a bit more risk aware. Um, you know, there's that stereotypical thing of if there's a job going, a woman will want to have ticked, you know, 80% yeah. before they'll even think about it, whereas yeah. a man might apply if they've ticked two boxes out yeah. of them. I think it's that kind of thing, you know, it's that kind of getting over that self-doubt and just thinking, well, even if I, and this is incredibly difficult and I can't, I, you know, I struggle with it all the time. But not thinking, or you know, I can't do it, or I'm not qualified, or that investor's not going to like me, I just won't try. It's just trying and having a go anyway and seeing if you're failing, which, yeah, I think generalising, women are probably a bit a bit worse at than men on the whole. Yeah. yeah. And I think you're right. I think, I think the confidence issue is, you know, a massive one. You know, that, that's why I started the Money Confidence Academy, not because of, Money confidence 
per se, because actually what how you go about getting money confident is actually about having confidence in yourself, in your abilities, having that sense of self-worth and self-value and being able then to overlay that on your relationship with money. And when you do those things, it allows you to have that confident conversation about money, about investing money, about what money you want to be able to earn, to spend, to save, to invest, etc. And I think you are right. It is about creating that environment. And I know that's something that you're very passionate about, creating that safe space, that safe environment where females feel where we feel that we are seen and heard and even more importantly, listened to. Mm. And I think it's that listen to piece. We just we don't want to have the lip service of people turning up to hearing us, to, to speaking. We want to know that we have been listened to and that people are taking us seriously and taking our ability to have very, very successful businesses seriously as well. Yeah, and and our ability to know a market. Um, you know, I, I think that example of... Um, Sometimes investors perhaps just not knowing what the problem is and therefore what the business is for to fix the problem. Um, you know, an obvious one is kind of anything to do with administration. Um, I just, you know, it's just a fact that men aren't going to know <laughs> as much as a woman because they've never experienced it. And so I just, I, you know, speaking to female founders, particularly where they have that sort of business, which is, you know, to do with kind of women's health, I suppose, in general, they just find, you know, they've said anecdotally, they'll walk into a room of investors and they'll start, you know, male investors typically, and they'll start talking and they'll just see that there's like, <laughs> I don't, you know, just like blank faces staring back at them. And that's really hard because you talk about the confidence thing, the confidence it takes to walk into the room and start speaking and all of the confidence it's taken to build the business up to that point can be can be shattered really in an instant if you walk into that room and start talking and all you see is blank faces and then you don't get the investment ultimately. Um, you know, that can really, really set people back. But I mean, I, I suppose the thing we need to learn as a group is that that sort of setback is just information gathering. Um, and as I said, you know, I kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of preaching these things that I'm always learning kind of every day about, you know, accepting failure and learning from that and that being a positive thing. Um, but I think you kind of have to, you know, push yourself to actually um, learn from those mistakes. And that in itself will give you confidence, you know, you mess up a few times and then you fix the problem and you do a bit better next time and then a bit better the time after. Um, you know, I kind of had to do that myself um, in the whole process of becoming a partner. Um, you know, like massive self-doubt about whether it was the right time, whether I'd enjoy it, whether it was the right thing for me. Um, and then I got to the point where I was like, well, you know, what have I got to lose? And I'm not quite sure how I got to that point, but I'm very glad that I did because, you know, it kind of shows that, well... If what's the worst that can happen really is is what I'm trying to think more often. You know, like you might be scared, but just do it anyway. And being on that journey to becoming a partner in your organization now, was it a case of stopping yourself from continuing to make those excuses? Would I enjoy it? Would it take me away from doing the things I really want to enjoy? Would I have to invest many 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 hours and therefore be be tied to the job because I think very often and I'm sure men do this as well but I can only mm. speak from a female's perspective I know I have made excuses in the past not to do things so that I could justify not getting out of my comfort zone mm. did you find yourself doing just that making the excuses not to get out of your comfort zone as opposed to just saying what oh, the hell with it I'm gonna go from it I'm gonna go for it and then I'm gonna see what's gonna happen oh yeah for ages you know I kind of and also and, and this is something that you know I would tell any junior coming up you know male or female but I kind of and I think this is just fear driven 
Um, and partly because, as I said, I never had like a 10-year plan. Um, but I never kind of set out my stall and said, I want to be a partner, you know, and this is what I'm going to do to become a partner. Um, and, you know, that doesn't mean that I didn't work incredibly hard. I didn't show the attributes that you need. I didn't kind of, you know, secretly consider whether that was something and and sort of imply in conversations that I had as I got more senior that that is something that I would potentially be interested in. I never set out that aim confidently. Um, and so I'd say to people, you know, as a first tip is kind of like, and it doesn't necessarily just have to apply for law, but, you know, if you do actually want something, whether or not you're sort of lying to yourself about that, um, you know, make it clear, like, even if it's just writing it down to yourself and then kind of thinking about it and making sure that you repeat that that's what you want. And then if it's applicable, vocalizing that to other people so that actually it kind of starts to all happen. Um but yeah, I mean, there were loads of excuses as to why not. And, you know, I even considered like what else I could do. And, you know, one of the options for lawyers is going in-house or, you know, you stay in private practice. Um, and I considered all the options, which actually I think I'm I'm glad I did anyway, because it's good to kind of know what the alternatives yeah. are. But but I just, yeah, I got to the point, I think, where I was so far down the line in kind of getting near to it. Ultimately, the only thing that would have stopped me is myself. You know, I was kind of on that path and I just, yeah, I, I think I worked myself up to the point where I was like, well, if I don't do it now, then, you know, that's just a lost opportunity and, and I will regret much more having not tried than I will if I try and I fail, Yeah. Um, which took a lot of self-talk. <laughs> um, but yeah. and, do you, and do you think that that is the key, that once once we have that awareness of, what is possible for us, we can no longer ignore the fact that actually we can either hide away from taking those necessary steps and know eventually it's going to lead to regret, or we can just simply get out of our own way and give it a go, that we do have that inkling that we can do it, we just need to be brave enough to jump off the cliff knowing our parachute is going to open and it is going to give us that softer landing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think most things in life, probably if you analyse it, have um, positives if you can really look at it. You know, people say kind of even things like bereavement or, you know, really big, like, horrendous life-changing events you know 10 years down the line you might look at it and be like well you know that made me stronger or more resilient or whatever um you know I would always kind of I got I was you know and this is the self-talk part you'd kind of say well you know if I become a partner in 12 months time and just like either I hate it or they don't think I should be a partner well you know I've probably gained a lot of experience in that time I've managed people I've managed numbers I've been part of partners meetings you know it's kind of well, if that particular thing doesn't work, you know, that very specific aim and very specific goal does not work, what's all the stuff in the background that has kind of added to me as a an entity, a person? Um, and yeah, I mean, it's all confidence building because you're developing skills. And, you know, that that is going to be helpful in some shape or form, whether it's now or whether it's in 20 years. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm really glad I did that because now I'm using this skill. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as the female founders that you are working with, what are the the skills and characteristics that you are seeing in the most successful ones? Um, Oh, God, I mean, I suppose it's kind of difficult to generalise in that sense, because, um, you know, everyone brings different skills to the table and and that makes them good at their specific business or you know probably they employ someone to fill the gaps in the things that they're not quite so good so it's kind of difficult I suppose to generalize specifically on the female founders that are successful but um it's probably some of the stuff that we've talked about you know having having the confidence in their idea um taking a bit of a risk you know I think it's always a calculated risk to quit a job you know a kind of nine to five paid salary job and jump into that so you know there's a bit of risk taking there's a bit of kind of um yeah they they kind of feel passionate enough about the thing that they want to do that they kind of just going for it anyway um you know they're very resilient they kind of have to as lots of people do but they have to work very hard and 
you know, I think being an entrepreneur, one of the things is that you probably do at the start anyway, get things wrong more than you get things right. <laughs> um, I'm Absolutely. sure, you know, you have your own business yeah. and I'm sure Absolutely. at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and that's all part of the, um, don't like to use the word necessarily, but part of the journey, I think you kind of learn as you go as to what's good and bad. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel like it's still massively well I mean it is the numbers show it's still massively behind um companies that are led by men male teams um you know and I think actually the stats show that the numbers of um investments into female founded companies actually went down last year um which isn't great (laughs) um and yeah I mean um, as a kind of general point about the attributes of female founders I'm not quite sure why that would be on a very kind of you know basic comparing a female founder to a male founder obviously just as good as each other in different ways perhaps but also could be exactly the same um you know then what's the difference um and I don't really know what the answer to that question is as to why the discrepancy in funding is so massive Uh, and I didn't know that I have to say so I'm I'm definitely going to do a bit of investigation behind the scenes to find what why we've seemed to have taken a backward step when there's much more focus on it rather than a consistent moving forward, as probably most people would assume. They would assume there's a bit of a linear, you know, increase in the amount of funding being given to females. Yes, we know it's behind males, but we would have, pro- I certainly, it was assuming until our conversation now, that that was, the trajectory was continuing in the right direction. And I'm going to certainly do more investigation around that. Yeah, I, I mean, it is it is disappointing, but also, and, you know, I try to be positive about the progress that women make and, you know, specifically in my own field, um, try and be positive all the time. But I suppose the fact is that it's not really moved on that much. Um, I'm reading a book at the moment called She Speaks. I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, it's by Yvette Cooper. And it's like a book of famous female speeches throughout history. And one thing that's kind of interested me, but also annoyed me, is um, (laughs) that actually a lot of the speeches, even from, you know, way back in the past, they're talking about things that, yeah, fine, it might have a different context around it because it was in the 1800s or something. But actually, it's kind of similar stuff. It's, you know, like women not being able to progress and women not being listened to, um, women kind of not um, being able to work in the way that they want or not having a seat at the table and actually being able to contribute. And that's actually still the case in the corporate world. And that's basically what I can speak to. But you know, so so even though there's so much talk about and, you know, I never really know if I'm in a bubble and therefore I think there's lots of chatter about female progression and, um, you know, encouraging investment into women's companies or if it's just because I follow all those people and that's just what I'm hearing. Um, but it does seem like there's movement there, but then actually we haven't really moved the on at all. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. in terms of the actual numbers. Um, and it gets to the point where just talking about it isn't enough. You know, it's like, well, how do we fix this? Because it's obviously what we're doing at the moment isn't really working. And I know this is a hard question to answer, but at several points in the conversation, I have actually wanted to ask the question, what needs to happen to attempt to fix it? <laughs> yeah, it is hard. Um, well, for a little while, I was firmly of the belief that it was you know women helping women and that's the way because not that women don't help women and every you know every woman I've met in the business context and all my friends and family are very very supportive and you know that's not a thing that isn't already happening um but actively helping women in a, in a business context so you know actually kind of networking with women and helping other women in their networks progress because you know it's about kind of sharing the success in that sense um and women investing in women um but and and I think that is a very important thing but that can't happen on its own you need male allies and you need men to champion women and for men to invest in women because actually they're still being realistic they're still the ones in charge and still holding all the cash yeah um so I've kind of gone a bit in a circle of kind of coming back to be my own yeah it's still a bit of a man's world and therefore we kind of need to 
I don't know, not play the game, but figure out how to connect and inspire that group (laughs) a bit more rather than just talking amongst ourselves in a way and kind of separating ourselves off and being like, this is what we need to do. And it's really great Um, because that is great, but we're not going to progress if we don't also get. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I had that debate with myself because, you know, up until, you know, November 2022, my podcast only had female guests on it. And, you know, I came to the conclusion halfway through 2022 is how can I encourage women to be talking more about money if I am not encouraging the wider conversation around money between men and women? Mm. Do you think that we as women could be doing more than we are to be encouraging that wider conversation to be having a much more open debate about the part we can play, not just the part that men should be playing in inviting us to the table. Um, yes, I think on two counts. You know, I think we, um, or you know, I can speak from personal experience. Often, I'll sit in a meeting and it will be me and. 10 men and I'm thinking something and I'll be like oh I should really say that <laughs> and I'll be like, oh god I oh, know I just don't feel confident enough to say that they're all going to disagree with me and again I have that like self-talk thing and I'm trying every time to just overcome that and sometimes I fail sometimes I do say the thing um you know sometimes it hits well sometimes it hits badly but but that's a bit of the kind of um you know we're holding ourselves back thing again um they can't guess what I'm thinking I might add something different to the conversation, but it's a me that's stopping myself from doing that thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they can't help us if we don't help ourselves and kind of push push that kind of self-doubt away um, and really kind of, yeah, speak up, I suppose. I mean, maybe the book I'm reading is sort of inspiring, <laughs> inspiring a lot of what I'm saying right now. Um, and then also just, I think, speaking amongst each other, you know, like, I've made a few angel investments this year and usually I'd be pretty kind of quiet about money. You know, as I said, you know, with my girlfriends, we never talk about money, but I'm trying to actually just be a bit more like, oh, I did this thing and it was really fun and interesting and like, oh, maybe you should consider it, you know, not in a kind of like advisory way at all, but just as a kind of like, this is an option for you as well. Like, you know, you don't have to, um, you know, I think, I think it's still the case a lot of the time that, women and men fall into their typical roles in the household you know from my observations that kind of is what happens and even in my own household um that's what's happened sometimes even if I try and push against it um it's just kind of how we're still conditioned a bit um but yeah just trying to I suppose break out of that and be like well let's encourage each other as a group of women to think outside the box and you know, save our own money and think about investing in something or opening an ISA if you've not done that and making sure you have a pension pot that's your own and not not just your own. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you are so right. It is about having the confidence to have those conversations. And it might be with one person to begin with, but that one person will invite somebody else to join the conversation. And that other person will go and tell somebody else. And that ripple effect gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And when you were talking earlier about the whole thing about menstruation, et cetera, it took me back to something I've had to proactively do. And this leads into what you said with regards to, you know, the traditional setup of households, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was about 10 or so, my mum buying sanitary products and me saying to her, oh, mum, what are those? I'll tell you when you're older. She -hmm. didn't want to have the conversation with Mm me. And when I got, when I was older and had my children and I have two boys, initially, when they said to me, you know, mum, what are those things? I said, oh, don't worry, you don't need to know about those things. And actually, I stopped and thought, 
Yes, they do need to know about them. So for years and years and years now, my boys have known about sanitary towels, about tampons and about mm. um, shock syndrome and all of that. And now I'm on HRT because I'm going mm. through the menopause, etc. I openly talk to my 14-year-old and 16-year-old. There's a little bit of recoil talking about those things from them, but that recoil is less and less and less. And when it comes to there was there was something, there was a conversation um my husband was having with regards to what checks over 50s have men checks. And it was to do with checking out um, the prostate. Mm. And my youngest said, Oh my God, Dad, is that done the way I think it's done? Do they put mm. a finger up your bottom? <laughs> and um my, my husband said, Yeah, that's exactly what they do. And my 16-year-old said to my 14-year-old, but Sam, we're going to have to have that done when we're older. And he was really matter-of-fact about it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's good. That's good (laughs) that we can have that open level of conversation. But I initially, you know, as I said, with regards to sanitary products, Mm -hmm. when they were smaller, I did initially shy away myself from having that conversation with them. So I do think, and I you know, I would like to think I'm forward thinking and, you know, of, of a generation where we talk about those things, but actually, largely, I don't think we necessarily still do. And that is in, in, incumbent on us as women. How can we expect our sons and our sons' sons for a woman to stand up and talk about how she can make improvements to women's health and Mm -hmm. the importance of not taxing women for sanitary products, et cetera. How can we expect a man to understand that and be aware of the importance of understanding it if inside he's going, ooh, don't talk (laughs) about that, that's a bit icky. So yeah. I, do, I do think it is it is about having, again, as you said, that level of awareness and being open to have the uncomfortable conversations and understanding why are you uncomfortable having mm. that conversation and what would happen if you were less uncomfortable and more comfortable. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, in starting the conversations early, um, and and just being inquisitive. I think as I um as I get older, that's something I recognize as being incredibly important and something that I I think I have done throughout my life. So um I'm not married to my partner and we don't want to have children. And those are two um, I mean, less and less so these days, but it's still relatively unusual. Yeah. Um, and it certainly was when I was kind of 20 and everyone was saying, well, by the age of 27, I want to be married. Change. And then, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and to be honest, I still get told that occasionally. Yeah. Again, like less and less as I get older. Yeah. But it's like, well, you'll probably change your mind. Yeah. I'm like, no, definitely not. But it's, it's about asking the question, you know, actually sitting back and be like, well, do I want to get married? as the first big question you know like is that actually what I want and if not why or you don't even need to know why but if it's yes or no whatever same as with kids you know like do you actually want children and and is that where your life is heading and really really kind of dig down into what it is that drives you and and how you want to live your life ignoring what anyone else does or says and just doing it in your own way and it was really interesting we went on like a family holiday and I've got um lots of nieces and nephews and it was really interesting because they just, you know, when they're young, as you know, they just kind of ask questions and don't really care. Um, but one of my nieces sat down next to me and she was like, why? And I was wearing a shirt, I think. She was like, why do you have short hair and you're wearing a shirt? And why does why aren't you a mummy? And I was like, oh, <laughs> very blunt to the point. What a question should I take first? Yeah, I was just like, oh, well, I just kind of have short hair because I've had to do change and like you can wear whatever you want. You know, you don't have to just wear pink dresses, wear whatever you want. It really doesn't matter. And not all women are mummies, <laughs> believe it or not. And she's obviously just observed that because 
she goes with her mummy to school and all the other mummies are there and yeah. when they go to the place it's all mummies so she does she hasn't separated yet in her mind a woman versus a mummy and she thinks they're both the same thing but that was both quite kind of <laughs> um you know kind of strange but also I then felt like that hopefully will have gone into her brain you know she's five I think now or six but somewhere gone into her brain even if just to think oh I have a choice yeah you know that little nugget yeah. of like oh I you know I know something that I didn't know before and actually I don't have to live my life in a certain way I can do whatever I want and that's great um yeah but I mean as you've shown with your boys I think it's about kind of being open being honest talking about things in a very comfortable safe environment asking questions starting early <laughs> And I think it's, it, you know, it is, and I certainly didn't have this, you know, when I was younger, but as you get older, you recognise you can have life by your design. You just have to decide that that is the case. And I think what you did for your niece there, as you said, you planted a seed and she might not consciously think about that for a long period of time, but her subconscious will be going, oh, so I don't have to wear a dress and automatically become a mummy and automatically this is going to happen and that's going to happen because we do make those, for, for most of us, life is something that happens to us to begin with. It's only when we have that ability, that maturity of thinking that life can happen for us, not just to us, by the actions that we take and by deciding we're going to get out of our own way. We're not going to allow the excuses to be what defines us. Mm. We're going to, as Nike says, feel the fear, do it anyway, and recognise that we can always do something different if that doesn't work out in the way that we want it to. Mm, yeah, I yeah, completely agree. Um, and do you think we'll be having the same conversation in 10 years' time? At what oh point God. do you think we will actually say it's changed, it's changed magnificently? That level playing field is there or it's mm. almost there? Or do you think it's going to take a lot longer than 10 years? Ugh. I just... I think it'll take a lot longer than 10 years to be honest I think we are still in the phase of tweaking around the edges um so you know it kind of blew my mind when I was a junior and one of the female um ladies working in the office said like well when I was started you know you weren't allowed to wear trousers and I was like oh my god (laughs) what do you mean um but and that obviously has changed and we have so much more freedom and like all of the freedoms we have is absolutely amazing But in a very, you know, in my world, in my kind of experience of corporate and business life, not really that much has changed and not that much is going to change until you have a room of partners and out of 20, you know, I'm just speaking about gender. Obviously, there's loads of different ways that you need to be diverse. There's a room of 10 women and a a room full of 10 men. And and that's, that's then equal. And you can make proper decisions that benefit, you know, more people. Um, and within that group, there needs to be, as I mentioned, way more diversity than just gender. Um, I can't see that happening in 10 years mm. based on where we are now. Yeah. Um, and I think there's so many factors that play into that. And one of the big ones is child, you know, having children and child um, bringing up children because it's still from my experience mostly falls on the women yeah um you know through choice I don't know any any woman that kind of is forced to do that against their will um and that is brilliant and it's a full-time job and it's incredibly difficult but whilst that's happening the boardroom or the meeting room is never going to be equal because the women aren't there and there's nothing you can do about that and I don't I still don't know and don't think I ever will really know what the answer to that problem is because women have to have the children yeah yeah and yeah it kind of leaves me a bit kind of stuck (laughs) yeah no I agree and I think it, it does it does require getting many more people gathered together 
to have that open conversation rather than it, rather than it being a few people trying to create big big ripples because mm. one big stone thrown into a pond will still only create a, cer- a certain size ripple it needs to be consistently more stones thrown into a pond that then creates the ripple that sends it you know further out into that pond basically and i have to say mm. you know I, I i agree with you there isn't enough collective responsibility at the moment for us to feel really really positive that big big change is going to happen and that Mm. that leaves me sad but it also at the same time leaves me hopeful that if we keep having these kinds of conversations and we agree that we will have a conversation with one new person on a regular basis, that that will extend out how far that message reaches. And I certainly, via this podcast, the work that I do, etc., and I know the same for you, I definitely am up for playing my part in that conversation. Yeah. um, Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, I am as well. But I also agree about the kind of you know, um, some days you're very hopeful and other days not. So, you know, some days I'll kind of cycle home from work thinking like, yes, like this is a great challenge. Like I'm really motivated. Like I feel like I'm making a difference. It's brilliant. Other days I cycle home and I'm like, I wish I was just, and this is like, you know, I can share this, (laughs) but it's not really a rational thought. I wish I was just a man and I didn't have to think about all the women and helping all the women in the world and progressing up through the ranks and making sure there was a equality because I'd just rather not have that in my brain. And that quickly dissipates. Yeah. But sometimes I'm like, oh. <laughs> I just wish I didn't care. Um, and I, and that's obviously once you do care. And if it's just part of your life, you can't change that. But, you know, you kind of have that slight kind of niggling frustration or resentment of like, oh, I just why can't it just be easier? Um, and yeah, as I said, it flips around yeah. as soon as I've cycled home in a frustrated anger, <laughs> I get home and it's all fine again. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? When when you have, you know, an ambition, when you have a, I can't think of the exact word, it's not a campaign. There's another word that I can't quite bring to mind at the moment, a cause, I suppose. When mm. you have a cause that you're really passionate about, that cause can bring you down, can demotivate you, can have you retracting back to that that place of comfort where you don't have to think about it. But then the ambition in you prods at you and says, yeah, but if you do that, you're not moving the cause forward. Is that really what you want to be known for, is not taking that cause forward? Even if that being known is being known to yourself, being seen by yourself for the excuses that you're making and you're accepting. And I think recognising that some days we're going to be down about it. Other days we're going to pick up that banner and be really motivated by it. And just making sure that those days are are greater in number than those days when we want to retract back a bit. But I think the I think the retraction is necessary mm-hmm. in order to be able to spring forward. So don't get lost. Don't feel demotivated because I think we all. All women need people like you who are doing the work that you are doing to make people more aware of the need to support female business owners, female founders, so that they can do the work that they want to do to bring their message to the world. Well, and exactly the same for you. You know, we kind of need every different type of woman speaking, even if your view is completely different. That's exactly what you need because you want to stimulate the debate. And my view on things change from week to week sometimes. Um, but it, it's this sort of thing, you know, and it, it's amazing that you're doing this because um, firstly, you know, you're helping your clients, which is awesome. But you're actually having conversations with different women and now men yeah. about different things. Um, and I imagine it's 
it's great for you because maybe you hear something different each time, even if it's slightly different to what you thought or it's a new concept or you thought, you know, you change your mind on someone, you know, you're expecting them to be like a certain way and they might be completely different. Um, it's that sort of thing that I think is incredibly important and in some way just actually for you, kind of I suppose both you and your guests it's kind of getting used to vocalizing the thoughts that we're probably all having um, you know about confidence and about how we progress and about how we achieve our broader purpose and what we want to do with our lives it's actually really helpful to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, one one hundred percent with you on that. One hundred percent. So, how can people connect with you, Fran? Um, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm relatively active. Um, so you know, anyone can feel free to drop me a line there. Um, and email is fine. And uh, you know, I think you mentioned you'd share the details afterwards, um, or call. But you know, it's a bit more old school these days. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of not on Instagram or anything professionally. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn or email is probably the best. Perfect. And exactly, all those details will be in the show notes, so people can easily reach out and connect with you. Thank you very much. I have really enjoyed our conversation today. It's definitely re-energised that spark in me to do all I can to encourage my next generation, my two boys, to be much more open and understanding about the conversation they need to be having to ensure that we can move to a point in X number of years where hopefully this conversation is redundant but thank you for your time today i really appreciate it thanks leslie thank you take care thanks very much for listening to the latest episode of the let's talk money and more podcast i really hope you enjoyed it if you would like to better understand your relationship with money then please head to the resources section on my website the money confidence academy and download my monthly money mindset audit This will allow you to create a benchmark for where your relationship with money is right now and allow you to continue to measure it on a monthly basis as you do the inner work to improve it. You will also find a copy of my Money Archetypes Assessment at the same time, which will allow you to start to really understand which are your three primary money archetypes driving your relationship with money and how to use this information to make spend, keep and invest more money. Or if you are a female online business owner, why not join my free money confidence community over on Facebook? A link to the group and other ways to connect with me can be found in the show notes. Finally, if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do tell others about it. And I would love it if you rated it and gave a review. 